everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Mask. I'm EJ, one of your co-hosts, and with me today is T. Lori's unable to join us, but she'll be back in upcoming episodes. This is episode 32 that we're calling The Masks of the Healthcare System. Just a friendly reminder that anything discussed in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or a replacement for conversations with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or other medical professionals. So today, as I said, we're going to talk about the mass of the healthcare system. And while there are a lot of great healthcare system things, there's also a lot of um, problems in the healthcare system. And there's a lack of advocacy by some medical professionals for the entire family in regards to a patient and care. I'm going to let Tina talk a little bit about the situation that kind of brought up this topic and we'll go from there. Yeah. Thanks, EJ. So, yeah. So recently a situation came up uh, in my family. Um, A little backstory is my mom has been in a long-term relationship with a gentleman who has uh, been, in my opinion, um, what would be considered domestic violence. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that because that's my mom's story. That's my mom's circumstances. Um, but the reason this is important is because recently he was diagnosed with cancer, uh, terminal cancer, late stage and stage cancer. Now he has spent years living off my mom, even though he has his own place and he has his own income and all that. And he doesn't help in any way with that and expects her to do for him. And these are details that are recently coming out to me because my sister lives with them and this is not something that they've they've shared. Um, So that's part of why I'm quite frankly, very angry about this whole situation is because um, there's a lot of dynamics to it. So when he was diagnosed with the cancer, um, he took it on himself to assume that my mom would take care of him in this. And, um, and so, but kept telling her, you know, if it's a burden, I won't stay this and that. And then his health took a significant turn for the worse and he ended up in the hospital and they had given him just a very short period of time to, to live. And then pressured my mom that so his doctor and his social worker um, that system uh, pressured my mom into taking him home and caring for him in her home now uh, she's 70 70 years old and still works and um, has her own health conditions and um, she made it very clear this was not something she felt comfortable with but they basically strong-armed her into doing that And when hospice came in to get him set up, one of the nurses for the hospice agency even looked at my mom when she was expressing her concerns about this and looked at her and said, you look strong enough, you can do this. And so now my mom works full time, takes care of this man who um, even now in his sickness uh, uses that to, in my opinion, abuse her. Um, He engages in very aggressive and... um, or behavior, like peeing all over the house and then blaming his illness. And so even when she expresses concerns about these things and the social worker promised her that she would be available 24 seven if there were any, any issues. And recently there was an issue and it took my mom more than a day to get a hold of the social worker to get some help and to get him up to the hospital. The hospital wouldn't even take him. Um, mm. So, uh, cause 
she couldn't get through to the doctor either. And these are people who promised her it wouldn't be like that. So um, what's kind of come like for me in this situation was that the healthcare providers uh, on his team uh, found it too difficult to place him in a, a long-term care facility. And rather than uh, deal with the what comes out of that, um, they put him in mom, my mom's house and then just wipe their hands of it. They don't have to worry about where he's at yeah. and, and whether he's getting he's, care. Yeah, once he's out of their hands, they're done. And mm -hmm. and unfortunately, in, in the hospital system, there is literally in the ERs that is, there's that phrase, treat him and street him. Yep. And it's because, unfortunately, even though the doctors take this Hippocratic oath that says they will do no harm, that's for the patient. That's not necessarily about the family members or the caregivers. And um, I had a similar situation um, with my dad, you know, after his second amputation, because um, he was a double leg amputee when he passed, but he'd been a single leg amputee and I'd been taking care of him. But unfortunately, with all his health, he went into a skilled nursing facility after his second leg amputation and they were training me to take him home. And I, I finally had to put my foot down and was like, I, I cannot provide the proper care for him. He needs to stay here. And he ended up staying. Um, but that was because I was advocating for myself and fighting with, you know, just to make sure that, you know, they understood that I couldn't provide what he needed. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a tough decision, but I feel like the doctors were kind of like, are you sure, you know, you, you can take him home and you figure out, but we knew I, we'd already gone through all of the system to try and get a social worker and a case manager to figure out if he qualified for any, you know, um, financial benefits, but he didn't. Um, so yeah, it was just, but thankfully I, you know, I made the right decision. I made the right decision to fight and cause he got another six years of amazing care from the staff at the facility. And I got to visit him as much as I could. And we got to build up a, you know, a daughter father relationship again, instead of a caregiver client relationship in a way, right. Um, which we'd been having kind of, everything was all boiled into one. And so hearing this about your mom, I'm like, oh my God, and, you know, her age, just in general, like at her age, she'd be possibly needing her own caregiver. And now she's being forced to care for somebody else in you know and it's just I'm like oh my gosh the system is so messed up and I know like when we were trying to place my dad in a skilled nursing facility like if you if Medicare is covering it like you they can place them within 50 miles of their residence so I know my mom freaked out because she didn't she when she saw that she's like oh my god that means that they could place them in Seattle because at the time we were living in Bremerton Washington and there were a few skilled nursing facilities in the area but you know there was but as the crow flies 50 miles is like seattle and and northeast of there so it yeah. was um it was a big scare and so and and there's you know the other side of that of you know skilled nursing facilities are not you know nobody wants to be there my dad didn't want to be there but he understood why he had to be there Sometimes he, you know, go through the motions of it, but that's what skilled nursing facilities are for, you know? Right. And, and you have to agree to be in it. I mean, that's kind of what you're talking about there. And that's the situation with this guy is that 
Um, also, he doesn't want to go into long-term care. Right. He wants to be at my mom's house. And, um, and so like when he was at the hospital, part of the reason they rushed to release him is he was throwing temper tantrums because he didn't get enough smoke breaks. And so they didn't want him in there in the hospital and, and um, didn't want to be dealing with that. And, you know, what's that going to be like when he's in a long-term care? Is he going to get to do what he wants when he wants, right? Um, it's not set up that way, it's, it, of course. And, um, and then there's the availability of beds, like the long-term care facility in their area. They don't have any beds available. Now, they have to put a little bit more, uh, uh, effort into clearing a bed or making room for him if he's in the hospital yeah. and so with him not being in the hospital they don't have to do that and uh yeah quite frankly what is he going to do when he can't go take his smoke break when he wants to my dad was a smoker and i mean he'd been smoking since he was a kid like mm -hmm. probably before it was supposed to be and he hated it um <clears throat> and Unfortunately, his facility had a no smoking policy completely for the residents because they wouldn't even allow the staff to take them outside for the smoke break. Well, there's liability. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that I'm not completely heartless towards the people involved in this, understanding the, the constraints and policies they have to work under. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot, I mean, other than that one nurse saying that to my mom, that is something that was not that was not okay that was not okay at all but within i i kind of look at it through the lens of what it's like in my field so in the mental health field there's this thing called least restrictive alternative and so if someone is if a mental health professional and that's a very specific term to people who have been trained to assess others if they're mm -hmm. harm for themselves or someone else and so therefore need to be uh, placed in a bed uh, in a mental health facility one of the things they have to consider is can they get them a bed? Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes that takes precedence. That kind of lowers like, well, this person's <clears throat> like right on the edge of maybe being suicidal, maybe being a risk to themselves. If there was a bed available, I would say, yes, they are a risk to themselves, but they have to weigh it. It's like, is there a bed available? Because in the mental health system, if they determine that this person needs a bed and they don't have a bed within a certain amount of time, a judge can hold that worker, that mental health professional accountable. Yeah. And so they're having to weigh that. So if the healthcare system, if the medical portion of it has anything, if it operates under that kind of system at all, that's what the professionals are up against. Mm -hmm. And so I, I can understand that, but... Mm -hmm. But still, your mom is your mom, and she's going through something that she should is being forced to do something she does not want to do, and it's not just, you know, paying taxes or something. It's, 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 it's affecting her health now. How's your mom handling? Like what? Because you said she's got her own health stuff. So right. like, is she getting self care time? Is she getting time to? You know, you said right. she's working full time, and now she's taking care of him too. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, but and and right around the time this was happening, um, 
I don't, I think it was him that had convinced her. Someone had convinced my mom and she should have known better because the field she works in, she knows some of these things, but um, that if she threw him out, she would go to jail because he was sick. And it's like, no, mom, it doesn't work like that. But there is a process. She can't just kick him out, even though he has his own residence, because I don't know what that her state's laws are, but I know where we're at now. You, if someone comes to stay with you, you can't just kick them out. You have to evict them. Yeah, it, yeah. I think it's you have to have if you live at the residence for more than thirty days, you are required to be evicted to be kicked yeah, out. I think and it, actually, it's fourteen. That's right. why most landlords put on their leases that you can't have someone stay more than fourteen days because they know then you're they're liable to. They're the ones that have to evict that person from your home so yeah they don't want that so yeah anyway um and and like I said my mom she works in a care facility for people who are developmentally disabled so she doesn't want his social worker to find that out because then they're mm -hmm. going to think even more that she's qualified to do this but that day that she couldn't get a hold of a he was very delirious and um, falling and didn't know where he was at so she was trying to get him back up to the hospital so it was that day mm -hmm. she had spent all that time trying to do that and then had to work an overnight shift so she had no sleep going into that and so mm -hmm. yeah it's <laughs> yeah um and so then you as a daughter how do you feel about all this because you're your mom's advocate Right, right. So my mom didn't want me or her one remaining sister to find out because she knows how we are. And if I had been able to, the moment I found that out, I would have been there, but it takes time and money to get there. And I didn't have that at that time. Right. But my thought is to go there and start rolling some heads because even though it's a different state, the laws aren't that big a difference. And um, yeah, I, I think that um, I'd have had some, some words and I've even considered calling Adult Protective Services to get a social worker assigned to her to see if they can be her advocate in this. Um, and of course I wanna, I have to balance that with trying to respect what my mom wants. Like yeah, she but want me coming there to do that. <laughs> true, but I believe you can make an anonymous tip to adult protective services um, so and I, I can't like yeah I, I'm, I'm just like there's so many different ways to get your mom help and I just it's hard to take help because I know I struggled with that even like when I was going through taking care of my parents it was hard to ask for help it was hard to take help but then when I got it it was like I was grateful for the extra help so I feel like She's just trying to go through the motions right now and just handling it and then not really. Um... Well, yeah, there's this sense of identity too. Like it, it, it feels, you know, if I were to put my mom and myself in my mom's shoes, you know, saying no to a dying man feels wrong. Like right. you're, you know, that's just cruel and selfish and, um, I think a lot of people who end up as family caretakers end up in that situation where they feel that way. And it's really can be very, very difficult to um, find a way to be okay with that. 
um, that somehow there's this expectation that you must be the one to do it. And I think I had a little bit of that when my dad did have to, I did have to make that decision, you know, and I, and even to this day, I still feel guilty for making him stay there. But at the time I had nothing and we ended up losing the house because I couldn't financially stay there and he couldn't live there. And cause you know, they take the financial, his, all his income was going to the facility. Um, so I couldn't stay there. So we ended, that house ended up, we ended up losing the house, which, you know, at the time I had moved out anyways, to move in with Lori and to, you know, that area and stuff. So it was a tough time. And even to this day, I, I, I wish there was a way that I could have had him come home. And even my most recent like place I was living, I'm like, there were times where I considered, well, if I just rearrange the living room this way, or if I just cleaned out this bedroom, then I could have my dad come live here. And then he wouldn't have to have this, you know, skilled nursing facility and I could just take care of him. And I'm like, but that's just the, that's the desire of my being a daughter. Mm -hmm. um, that wasn't thinking as a healthcare professional, <clears throat> you know, so it, which kind of goes into our next topic of, you know, us as healthcare providers in ways, like I'm a licensed home care aide, you're a mental health um, counselor. I just, our hands are tied sometimes, you know, there's, there's laws that we have to follow and ways we have to do things that doesn't always, like we're there to advocate for the patient not necessarily the people around them it's up to the patient to make those arrangements um which is unfortunate because it's what's i want to say holistic but i don't think that's it but like looking at the whole family as a piece instead of just the one patient because like cancer affects everybody in the family not just one person mm -hmm. and you know, as a caregiver, having to watch clients go through me medical health stuff, um, it's, it's like, well, I can help you here, but, you know, in some ways, you're limited. Like, I, I couldn't help them with certain things because I'm not licensed to do that. I can't give them medication. They have to take it on their own. Um, so at some point, I have to say, okay, I can't help anymore. We need to get you some help that, you know, people that can. Um, right. But again, hard because we want right. to be able to do it, you know? Right. Well, and that's a, that's a good, that's a really, you know, I think about how, um, yeah, we can't make people do things. Right. And even if it's for their own good, you know, um, because that's a slippery slope. If we get yeah. involved in that and making someone do something that we think is in their own best interest, at what point do they lose their autonomy? Well, at what point do they lose their independence? And mm -hmm. that's why in our field that we call it the least restrictive alternative is because it's the idea that uh, nobody's uh, liberty, nobody's freedom or independence mm -hmm. should ever be taken from them now right. um, without cause. Mm -hmm. And um, I can think of instances in which uh, someone uh, desperately needed that 24-hour care from the family's point of view for their mental health stuff. But mm -hmm. because of that LRA, they and you know there's 
they can't keep him against his will. And yeah. so then he'll show up and he will stop taking his meds because that's another thing you can't make people do yeah. um, is take meds. And then he starts, his reality starts slipping and he shows up at families' houses and disrupts everything um, and to the point of breaking in and destroying. Um, he can't stay in a residence of his own because he destroys it when the voices start talking. Uh, and, and this isn't the client of mine, so I can talk about that part of it. But, um, but then the, but mental health looks at the family like, there's not really anything we can do about that. And then law enforcement has to get involved and that sometimes escalates things. And then the family feels guilty because it's not that they view their family member as a criminal, but they have to, at some point, be safe and protect their, their property as well. And so it's, the system is not set up to, it's not useful unless the person wants it to be useful. Right. And in my line of work, like I said, I can't help, like, I can't make them take their medication. If they don't want to take it, I can't force them. What I can say is, I really think you should take it. I know you don't like the side effects, but it also helps with this. And I can encourage them to take it. Mm -hmm. And then if they don't, then that's my job to report it to their doctor and my supervisor to be like, okay, they're not taking their medication and this is this. And then that's, you know, and then we have to do stuff that sometimes the patient doesn't want, but it's in the best interest of the patient to report it. Um, because that's we're mandatory reporters. Yeah. And self-harm is equally as dangerous as harm to others. Yep. It is a very, very fine balance because within most of the time when you go in and you sign paperwork with your doctor, um, you sign paperwork say, um, that and there's this patient rights part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and in those rights, it typically says something along the lines that as a patient, you have a say in your care. So if you don't wanna do something, you don't have to do something. If you want a second opinion, you can get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, I know several people in our local area who have had issues with that when they try to assert their own um, what they you know what they want for their care. I'm trying not to get into specifics here. Um, then they get cut, and they get a letter stating that they were basically belligerent when that's not what they were doing at all. They were just advocating for themselves of what they felt should be in their care or not. And, um, and honestly, looking at the situations, I'm like, why was that a problem? So it's like, what's going on in the system that we're not seeing? Right. Well, and, and yeah, I, you know, there were times when like, you have to be so careful even with their medication, like in the sense of like my dad was on some strong pain medication because he had neuropathy and some other issues that caused pain. And, you know, he wasn't abusing the medication in one way of shape or form, but the doctor just kept giving it to him. So then my dad's like, well, if he gives it to me, I might as well just take it. <laughs> I'm like, dad, let's not do that. Um, 
and you know so there you know I remember you know times when he would you know take the medication he'd be out and then we have to contact the doctor and be like well and they're like well he's hit his you know like because there's certain medications like you could only take so much within a like a month span mm-hmm. and that's why like they're limited like the the laws say you can only you know prescribe so much so plus medic you know um, medical uh, insurance often only covers so much per month if you have to refill early they're like nope it's too early and stuff like that so there's a lot of that but then when you're in pain you just want to take pain medication so then it's like you have to kind of have this balance and when you're sick and having other things going on your your clarity is not always there which is why caregivers are great and I mean I enjoy being a, a home care aide because I help give the independence to the client by being in their home, you know, where they're comfortable. Unfortunately, at some point, some clients may need to go into a facility because they can't. Um, And that's where our job ends. Um, And that kind of is what happened with me before I moved, you know, in with Lori was there were some questions as to whether or not my, one of my clients was gonna um, go into a facility or, you know, that, you know, so it was, it was a tough decision to make for me to, to step back, but I'm like, I, I can't sit around and wait um, to, you know, you guys to decide. And I needed them to make the best decision for their parent, you know, their family member, not mm-hmm. what with the client, you know, or at the caregiver. So I feel bad in the medical field because I know people can also like sign themselves out AMA from the hospital. And it's like, yeah, that's your right but then it's also going to go in your records that you did go into the hospital and you did sign out AMA. And so then you're, they're going to be even harder to treat you because they figure, well, you're just not going to do what we tell you to do anyway. So you're just going to sign yourself out AMA. So what, you know, so it's, you don't want to get to that point either. And, but I also hate how things go in your records that Mm -hmm. shouldn't go in your records. And then it hinders you for the rest of your life, you know? Right. Right. It, it feels like sometimes health, the healthcare providers um, forget that this person isn't at their best because they're sick. And, and then, um, yeah, I see that a lot. I see that a lot. Like they get blacklisted because they had an attitude with the doctor and the doctor didn't feel like dealing with it that day. So now they're getting cut um, and told to go find your health care elsewhere. But insurance doesn't let you just do that. Right. Because you need an assigned provider. Yeah. And in their system, it shows this person, but now you're going to see this person and they won't cover it. I mean, or or it's, you have to stay within a certain type of clinic because of the way your medical is set up. Like mine is a certain one that I can only see doctors, excuse me, within the um, certain family of doctors, you know, clinicians. So then I can't go to another company or find another doctor in another spot because they're not gonna cover it. So then Mm -hmm. it's like, do I wanna pay out of pocket and go see this doctor? Or do I wanna just stick with, you know, so then it's like, what do I do? you know, it's not the situation now. I just have to find a doctor here because I, you know, moved, but right. uh, Yeah. You know, and it, it just makes it so challenging. But again, if I had been like, you know, 
not willing to do things my doctor said on the other side of the state that would be in my records so when I come here what doctor might want to pick me up if I had done that you know I, I didn't do it thankfully but right right I was happily questioning some of the things my doctor did and um a few of the ailments she said I had I went to a specialist and they're like no you don't have that it's just this and my doctor's like, no, I don't know about that. I'm thinking, mm, yeah, you're just a GP. I went to a specialist. That's what they said. So I'm going to lean on their words instead of yours. But that's beside the point. And, and again, that isn't, I say that's beside the point, but it really isn't because that's what it is. Right. Now you've got two doctors that are conflicting stories. So then what do I believe? The doctor that I've picked to choose, you know, to help me or the specialist who specializes in this type of field. <laughs> You know? Right, right. Well, and you know, as, as while you're talking about it, I was thinking about one of my friends who's who was dealing with that, where she ended up getting blacklisted. And I could go into all that, but part of the the situation that occurred, um, they gave information to her daughter during the emergency that was not true, but the daughter took it as true because it came from the doctor. So now the daughter won't talk to the mom because she took the doctor's word and um so that's that you know they ostracized her family in the process of this and so mm -hmm. um and friends and 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 she had friends that were huge support for her and then they came in to do an intervention and it wasn't even accurate it, it wasn't even accurate information and so mm -hmm. it it yeah and so, and I don't think they broke, they didn't break HIPAA when that happened. I mean, I think it's a fine line they walked, um, but because it was an emergency and the daughter was, in a, was uh, I think there was like an authorization somewhere along the line that the daughter could get information before this emergency happened or something like that. I can't remember. It's been a couple of years, but to this day, the daughter still will rarely, rarely talk to the mom because of it mm -hmm. and so that's you know tying back in that family piece of mm -hmm. of how the system not just affects the patient but the family and how the the providers can't know all the ins and outs that go on go on in the family or in the home mm -hmm. and um and they're making these decisions without or or forcing these choices without knowing the dynamics Right. or sometimes even knowing the dynamics and still clearing that bed. I was just thinking that too. Um, the doctors, I, um, in my experience, especially with my parents, I had a couple of doctors for my mom that were really good. And my dad ended up having to go see one of them. So it was really cool. Cause I was like, yeah, I, this doctor I trust. He actually like asked you questions and cared about what was going on in your life and didn't just take his five minutes, look you over, do his, you know, check your lungs and check your heart. And then he's out the door. Um, but there are a lot of doctors that do that. They're like, they don't care what's going on in your family life. And part of it is they don't want to know, but sometimes that factors into like, and you know, sometimes if somebody will go in with some heart issues or something like, well, do you have stress at home? Do you have stress at work? Do you, but it, it's it's all factoring in 
And when you've got somebody involved taking care of you or helping with providing care of some kind, it, it just changes everything. And I can, I can remember doctors, like we would go in with like three or four things that we wanted to talk to them. And like, well, we can't talk to you about that because you're going to have to make another appointment for that because today we're only scheduled to do this. And I'm like, I'm not making another trip in here with a double leg amputee to make, have this conversation, <laughs> you know, because it was challenging. My dad had a hard time getting in and out of the car. And I'm like, I'm not going to force him to get in the car tomorrow to do the same thing just so we can get you to talk about this topic. Let's talk about it today. Charges for two appointments for all I care. Just do it, you know? Well, and that's the other thing too. And you talked about this a little bit ago is that when we're put into this caregiving role as a family member, it changes our relationship with that family yeah, member. It does. And, and so that's an important factor too. Did your dad need a daughter or did he need a caretaker? And he needed a daughter and a caretaker, but you can only be one at a time when it reaches a certain point. Now, like, for example, in my situation with my husband, he, you know, he has cancer and he's sick, but he doesn't need 24 hour care. So right. I'm not having to be his caretaker. However, that being said, I'm going to throw him under the bus a little bit because it's kind of funny. In the beginning, when he was first diagnosed, one of the things that cancer care uh, offers is counseling. And they're like, you know, well, because it's hard when you get that diagnosis and all the things you have yeah. to change and do counseling can be helpful and someone who's trained in that specific kind of counseling can be very useful so when they offered it to him he's like you know I know my wife is a therapist but maybe I'll take a load off of her and I'll go check this out and see how it goes and he gave the gal he sat with her for an hour and at the end he looked at her and he says he goes you're really really nice and I can see that you are good at your job and but I live with a therapist. I think I'll stick with that. <laughs> well, at least he gave he it a try. Me, yeah, he told me that. I'm like, yeah, but, but not how that works. <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if things get to a point where you're needing a counselor, we will make that decision then yeah. because I can't yeah. be your counselor. I can be your wife. But thankfully, some of being your wife involves some of those yeah. things. So we're okay. But right. if I got to a point where it was having to change my role as a wife to be different than what I am as a wife, I would have to reevaluate the situation. Right. Well, and I, I've had some, you know, even living with Lori, you know, I've had some moments where like, she's like, yeah, I talked with, you know, her counselor and talked to you and I'm like, I'm right here. What am I? Chocolate. <laughs> but, but again, you guys are mental health professionals as well as friends and stuff, but it's not that she doesn't want to talk to me. It's just that you guys also know her and she can't just, she doesn't want to put it all on me either. <clears throat> so it's like, I have to remember that. Like, okay, Aaron, you got to remember, you know, you're not just, you know, you're her friend, you're her roommate, you're her, you know, you're there, you know, you're helping her with things that nobody else is helping her with. But you don't have to be the only one shouldering it because she has a family and she calls it a tribe, you know, around. Um, and it's good when there is a tribe, there is other people to step up. <clears throat> and that's a huge key. That's actually a really important topic because um, oftentimes what happens is someone gets um, wrangled into the caretaking role, who's a friend or a family. And if they're the only one getting wrangled into that role, that's huge. 
That's huge. There's no break. Now, if it's a tribe and everybody has their roles and their parts to play, Mm -hmm. then no one single person is having to take on all of it. And that's super important. So like in the case of my mom, if he had called his, he has a child, an adult child. He has, I can't remember if it's a boy or a girl, but, but he didn't want to burden that, that kid, that adult child with this. And they live in a different state and his sister. And so he, they don't even know. They don't even know he's terminally ill. Oh my gosh. And yeah, he could have, he didn't have to be alone at any point throughout the years, even before this diagnosis. It's just that mom was doing it. So he continued. And I think one of the things that really makes me frustrated is that aside from the healthcare system, this is what they don't know is that you know, they've made promises to each other that if either one of them ever got sick, they would help each other out. I'm just telling people, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Because just, just know in your head that you care about this person, you'll do what you can for them, but don't make these promises because I've seen so many times where it's backfired, like this one has, Uh, but they made this promise. And then my mom got really, really ill with COVID. And the first thing he does is starts calling her really bad names and tells her he hopes she dies and then leaves. Yeah. A year later, now he's sick. And expect it from her. And her thing is, I promised. So please don't make those kind of promises because you don't know what it means. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, and I understand when you have a marriage and the in sickness and health, but even then in sickness and the health doesn't mean until you're dead too. Yeah. I, and I, I honor, you know, I, I commend anyone who's in a family or a relationship that goes through that. But at some point you're still allowed to say no. Lori said it last week, even regarding the, the podcast we talked about last time, you're still allowed yeah. to say no. Those vows are for, yeah, you're going to help them in the, when they have the flu. That doesn't necessarily translate to they're on their dying bed and you're doing everything 24-7 and working a full-time job and taking care of this and taking care of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. My, my ex's grandparents um, made that promise to each other. Uh, the grandmother made the grandfather <laughs> promise to never put her in a nursing home. So when she got dementia... He pretty much put, I mean, he was put, were put through so much that not long after she died, he died because his health was so poor, but he, um, she was doing things like he would catch her trying to drink bleach. He would catch her um, stripping down almost naked and walking out into blizzards. Um, they would go out to eat and she would be fine. And then all of a sudden she would start screaming like a banshee. When people would run to help, she would tell them that he was trying to kidnap her, that he, she didn't know who he was. Oh my God. That was his life 24 seven, because he made a promise to her not to put her in a nursing home. And we kept begging him, begging him like, look, she, it would be one thing if she was still there and making that promise and, and caring for her physical needs. I said, but this, this isn't that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a full advocate on, you know, providing care for your parents. 
I was in a lucky situation where I was still living at home when my parents got sick kind of at the same time. And I had the opportunity to take care of them and I wasn't working at the time. But I always think like, what if I was living across the state when they had gotten sick and I was working a full-time job or doing something where I couldn't just get away? What would I have done then? Um, would I have maybe dropped my life? Maybe, um, but I'll never know because that was not the situation I was in. And I understand that, you know, families, you know, if you have a family and your parent or a friend that you've agreed, you know, promised to help take care of, get sick and, you know, you want to, you also have your own family and life to balance out. Some people can put that on hold and others can't. So, so something I'm not sure if many people are aware of, but if you're at that kind of uh, caregiver uh, where you're um, family caregiving, um, in some places there's uh, uh, programs called uh, respite care. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you can access that to get a break. Um, but I don't know what all the hoops are. And I don't know what, I mean, I know that not everybody is able to access it. So I don't know what it takes to do that, but I know that a lot of, a lot of areas have that. Um, yeah, there's respite available. care. I mean, even caregiving agencies, like what I, who I worked for there offer respite services for people who just need an hour or two to go to a doctor's appointment and they just pay for the, the wages for it, you know, for a couple of hours. Um, and there's a lot of, um, I, I think they call them adult day centers, um, kind of, or senior centers, kind of places mm -hmm. where you can, you know, take, your person, you know, family member or two, and you go do what you need to do and then come back and get them. So yeah, there's also, and I also want to say that there's also support groups for caregivers. Yes. Yes. And yeah. if you're in that situation where you're either being forced or willing to take care of someone, make sure that you take care of yourself too. And if it means going to a, a counselor or going to a group therapy session, to talk about being a caregiver, that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you, you need to take care of yourself. Um, something I wasn't really doing when I was taking care of my parents. I was just so focused on taking care of them that everything else was just kind of getting put on the wayside. Some yeah. of that I'm paying for now, <laughs> you know, um, but if I had the time opportunity to to do that over again and make the same decisions I probably would have because I, I wanted to take care of my parents for as long as I could right. but I also finally realized when I had to stop and, and say I, I need help and that's when right. I had to make that decision to keep my dad in the facility so. I know that if if my mom were to you know of course we always joke when it comes to my mom because we always say my brother is her favorite and so he gets stuck with her in her old age but <laughs> <laughs> this is the cost that's the price he has to pay but you know joking aside I would happily take in my mom if she needed it yeah. um, but it's with the knowledge that you know, depending on her health and where she's at and what I'm available to do yeah. um, and I would go into it knowing that yeah there would be times if my mom can't be left alone if she's in that kind of situation where she can't do any self-care whatsoever I would mm -hmm. have to consider what that looks like um right. because um yeah that's and that would that's not only fair to me but it's also fair to her 
like making sure she has the care she needs if right. it was if that's the way the roles were um my my mother-in-law lived with us until she passed away and there were times when her care was above and beyond what we could do because my husband's sick as well so she would have to go into a facility until they were able to stabilize her um, unfortunately that's where she was at when she passed as she was in a facility and they were working on stabilizing her and then things just went south really fast mm-hmm. um, and we wish she would have been here instead because I think that would have been best for her mm-hmm. but at the time she needed that 24-hour care and so that's where she was at with the knowledge that you know when she was stable she would be able to come home so and I I also like to remind people too of skilled nursing facilities that sometimes it's not a permanent thing sometimes it's a couple of weeks to get yourself a little more strength a little more ability to have opportunities to do your own self-care and get around a little bit make yourself you know be able to safely get to and from the bathroom or things like that and then you can maybe go home like you said you know having the you know the goal was for her to come home so yeah because in between she was doing most of her own self-care I mean she would need help with little things here and there of course um but it wasn't anything that was major but when um she it was her kidneys were failing and so Mm -hmm. um there was aspects of that that were above and beyond and in we wish we would have known more about what that meant, uh, what that can do for a person and how that does confuse them. And some of the things that we were seeing was like, oh, well, if we would have known, we could have really pushed for her to get this care over here that she was deciding not to do because she didn't understand, but we didn't know she didn't understand. So I think that's another thing too, is if you have a loved one living living in your home and you are part of their caretaking team um, to make sure that you have some knowledge of of what it is they're dealing with so that if you see it you can kind of come alongside Mm -hmm. and and help them out um we would have done a few quite a few things differently had we known that Mm -hmm. um including maybe go to some some doctor's appointments with her to help her keep from getting confused as to what they were telling her and she would tell us and we'd be like are you sure that's what they said (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it wouldn't have been but she would, didn't want us to go because she didn't want us to tell on her. <laughs> right, right. Well, this is a topic that we could definitely talk a lot more about. And we may come back to this so Lori has a chance to chime in on her own thoughts and experiences she's had because she's had a caregiver for many years. Um, but I think we'll wrap it up here. Um, just a friendly reminder that anything discussed in this podcast is not to be used as a diagnosis or a replacement for conversations with your own doctors, therapists, psychologists, or other medical professionals. This episode is available on YouTube and most major podcast platforms. And if you're not a subscriber, we'd love for you to be one. So don't forget to click the subscribe button to keep up with our upcoming episodes. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Behind the Mask PC. And you can also email feedback and future episode ideas to BehindTheMaskPC at gmail.com. Links to myself, EJ, Lori, and T will be in the description box as well. And on behalf of the ladies and myself, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.